0: Welcome to the Juice Box Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Benner. I first interviewed Jenny Smith, the CDE from Integrated Diabetes, back in Season 1 on Episode 37. At that point, Jenny and I were just talking about different management ideas. But it was then that I realized how much we agreed about Type 1 Diabetes and the management of the disease. I brought Jenny back on in Episode 105, and we really drilled down about A1Cs, what they were and what they weren't. After that second interview with Jenny, I decided that one day I would have her back on to discuss all of the diabetes management ideas that come up on the show. I wanted to break them down into small categories, something that was easily digestible where we'd stay focused on just one idea. I wanted to create something that you could come back to, hopefully learn from, and if you found useful, share with others simply. And so with that in mind, I give you the first in this 10-part series, Diabetes Pro Tip for the newly diagnosed or for those wanting to start over with Jenny Smith, CDE. Please remember that nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin or making any changes to your medical plan. If you're a newly diagnosed person with type one diabetes or the parent of someone who's been newly diagnosed, what do you think the first things to understand are?
1: The first things to understand beyond the glucose values are what does insulin do? How does it work? I think that's, it's a huge one that is, it's under, it's underemphasized. I guess is the best way to put it. Many people, especially adults who are diagnosed, are kind of given a, this is your insulin, this is the dose to take and kind of go experiment at home. I, I feel like that's kind of the way that it is. And I think insulin is a first most important thing to really understand how does it work what's what's the purpose of it how is it supposed to kind of finish working and what is its effect for you
0: okay and so what are some like bare bones ways to come up with those understandings so i think obviously if you have a cgm it becomes different right if you have a cgm you can get yourself at a stable spot where you haven't had insulin or food for a while And just give yourself an amount of insulin and see how it moves you. Let's talk for a second about like old school. Do you still teach people that they need to do basal testing?
1: In a general way, yes. I think especially for pumping is helpful in the beginning because it does in that basal only time period, it does give you a general idea of how things are being kept with the rate that's at play. I do think that basal testing needs to be more explained, let's say, when we are talking about pumping insulin, though, because there are, as you know, a lot of variables that could be at play in that basal testing time period, especially like from from a woman's standpoint, it could very much be that it's not the right time of the month to be basal testing. Right. 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 So all of these various or, or a kid or a teen who is um, a kid or a teen who is really athletic. Right. And there is consistent effect of activity level and it may be different on different days, but there could be overlap from a day ago that you had a four hour practice or a tournament. I, so basal testing. As a general idea, yeah. It can be a really good place to start, especially if you think things are really off in a certain place of the day, but is it the end all be all of knowing where your insulin should be? not a hundred percent of the time
0: right and so so what I end up telling people when I speak with them is that you know if you're having an issue and that issue could be anything like you're spiking at a meal or you're you know drifting high all the time or you're incredibly high all the time, you know any of those things. You have to first look at your basal insulin. The, yeah. It's it's absolutely far and away the first thing. And I have to apologize to you. Arden's texting me and I believe she's trying to tell me it's lunchtime. That's okay. Hold on. So lunch question mark. So Arden has been sick the last couple of days and pretty Aww. pretty kind of resistant like to to her insulin a little bit. But we are ahead of it now. So she's 106 and stable now. But to give you an idea, she woke up at 110 by the time she was getting dressed, she was 120. Then yeah. there was this diagonal up. I bolused a unit and doubled her basal for an hour. And 30 minutes later, I had to bolus two more units to get her back to this 106. Now, she never got yeah. over about 150, but she sees that rise every morning, like that, that little bit of a rise. But this morning, I used, I'm going to say three units more than I would normally use. Yeah. And it's just because she's not feeling quite well.
1: Again, another reason that basal testing <laughs> something like this is not, it's not purposeful. In fact, I think, you know, a lot of people try to overcome that morning time rise with a basal adjustment. But what happens then when you wake up at a different time of the day, mm-hmm. right? Or you have a variable schedule. So a lot of times I actually tell people, you know what, let's look at what the rise is. Don't correct it. Let's watch the rise. Let's figure out how much of a rise are you consistently having? You know what? We can offset it with a, with a dose of, it, of, of bolus. Okay. Sometimes that actually hits the mark better than trying to incrementally adjust a basal behind the scene that could actually change day to day.
0: Right, right. Okay, so now this is, um, this is really interesting. Uh, do the tem- Wait till I tell you what just happened. So this is kinda of hilarious. But my wife is here. I'm gonna have to walk away for a second and come yeah. right back. Arden's pump only has ten units left in it. And oh her, no. And, and just and her lunchtime bolus is gonna be twelve units. So I just had her do a smaller bolus as a pre bolus still, and I'm gonna send my wife over to like swap. Over so to, I'll be back. Oh no. Let me go yeah, explain go this ahead. to my wife. Yeah. And I'll be back yeah, yeah. in one second. The Dexcom G6 CGM is now FDA-permitted for zero finger sticks. That's right, the continuous glucose monitor that Arden has been using forever does not require calibration from a blood glucose meter any longer. But do you know what it does do? It allows you to see your blood sugar speed and direction. Are you rising at two points a minute, falling at three points a minute? The Dexcom CGM will let you know with customizable alerts. And if you're the caregiver or someone who loves someone with type 1 diabetes and you'd like to be able to see their blood sugar when they're not with you, that's possible too. Because Dexcom has a share and follow feature that is available for Apple and Android. My daughter's at school right now. We just gave her insulin for her lunch and I can see her blood sugar. Her blood sugar started to creep up on us a little bit. So I got an alert and we added some insulin. Stopping Arise. The Dexcom G6 features an applicator that is virtually painless. My daughter says she can't feel it at all, and it's completely automatic. One button push, and the sensor bed has been applied. You snap in the transmitter, and you're on your way. You can see your blood sugars on your Apple Watch or other smartwatches, on your iPhone, on your Android phone. You can share it with anyone in the world, anywhere. I can tell you without hesitation that the Dexcom Continuous Glucose Monitor is without a doubt one of the main reasons why we've been able to keep my daughter's A1C between 5.2 and 6.2 for five continuous years. To find out more, go to Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox or the links in your podcast player show notes or at JuiceboxPodcast.com. It's going to be the best decision that you ever made.
1: So all is okay? Yeah,
0: my wife's... It's across the street. Yeah, my wife's going to run over. She's working from home today. And it really does just go to show... I guess, the fluidity that you have to keep around diabetes because, okay, I'm lucky. Yeah. My wife's here today. If she wasn't, I would have to tell you, hey, I got to go. But in the end, there's no panic here. Arden's blood sugar is 107. I wanted, I wanted to do a temp basil increase of 50% for an hour and a half and an extended 12-unit bolus for lunch. But she only has 10 units. So instead, I had her set the temp basil still and do an 8-unit extended bolus. So she's still going to have 4 units going when my wife gets there. They're yeah. going to swap that pump real quick, and then she's going to head off to lunch and be okay, right? She'll be fine.
1: She's so, got early lunch.
0: Yeah, on every other day, it's at 10.30. And then on the opposite.
1: 10.30? Like, what, did she get up at 5 o'clock to eat breakfast? <laughs> I know, I right? Mean, really, that's
0: she eats 10:30 every other day and the opposite day she eats at 11:30 and she's out of school by 2.
1: Oh wow. So okay. So
0: it's all kind of very quick. I don't know yeah. if she's learning anything, but <laughs> <laughs> So so I yeah, so anyway, what I wanted to say about Basil is that I'm sure just like you, I meet people who are having trouble, right? They're yeah. either on the roller coaster and they're going to 400 and they're going to 60 and up and down or you know, somewhere in that problem, they're high constantly, they're always 180, you know, they can't really seem to do anything about it. And when they get to you, they have all of these theories about why their blood sugar is too high. Right. And I tell them your blood sugar is too high because you don't have enough insulin and it's not timed correctly. And we're going to start with your basal. And they'll inevitably say, well, what about my insulin to carb? I'm like, that doesn't matter. I'm like, you can have a perfect insulin to carb ratio if your basal insulin's not right, none of this matters, right?
1: That's right. right. That's why we call basal insulin the foundation of your management. It really is. We, we actually tell people it's like the foundation of a house. Mm-hmm. If you have a sound structure that you're building on top of, everything you put on top of it will work. Even if the insulin, to carbon, the correction factor and things are a little bit off, if the basal is off, those are going to also look like they're not working well.
0: And it becomes impossible to diagnose what's happening, right? And yeah. so what I end up saying is that you try to imagine, we use round numbers for examples, but try to imagine your basal is a unit an hour. That's, mm-hmm. what it, that's what it should be. But you have it at 0.5. And then you, have, you look at some food and you say, oh, well, that food is two units. So you, and let's say you're right about that. Let's say you're a hundred percent right that the food takes two units. You put your two units in. All you've done is now replace the basil that you needed, right? You're, you, right. So you're resistant, you're high. Now you're replacing your basil. It's possible those two units will only go towards impacting the problems your basal insulin has. Right. And then your blood sugar shoots up and you go, I don't understand. I put in the right amount of insulin. I counted I my counted carbs. I counted
1: my carbs, right? <laughs> See, I counted my carbs. <laughs> I looked at the label and... <laughs> yeah. I did everything
0: the doctor told me. Why didn't this work? And right. in the end, and you know, through this series that you and I are going to do together, I'm going to repeat a couple of things over and over that I've found to be incredibly helpful. But in the end, if your blood sugar is high or low, you've mistimed, miscalculated, or a combination of those ideas. And that's pretty much it. You know, yeah. that I find that to be the core of it. It's not the first step to me. Not being afraid of insulin is the first step, but we're going to talk about that in a different episode. But I think that it's, it's timing and amount. And I think mm-hmm. there's a million other things that can impact your life with diabetes, but that's the seed of the tree, right? And you could throw away all the leaves and all the branches and everything that comes off of that seed. If you have that seed timing and amount, you're well ahead of the game,
1: Right. Okay. Right. Absolutely. And I, I would say the, that those two pieces actually go very well together as far as not fearing insulin, you know, not being afraid of using it. Because I, I, I certainly work with many people who that is a major problem. Mm-hmm. It is, I just want mm-hmm. to eat 200 because I'm afraid to give the amount my pump is telling me to give or the amount that the doctor told me to give. You know, Um, and I think understanding insulin is the base of that, understanding it and understanding the timing and the action of the insulin and how it also individually works for you helps to dissipate that fear.
0: Right. I think that, um, I think that if you can keep your blood sugar stable at 200, then you can keep it stable at 180. And if you can do it at 180, you can do it at 140. And believe it or not, if you can do it at 120, then you can do it at 75. And, you know, and so... Because the, the tools that you use to, to achieve that stability aren't different depending on what level your blood sugar is at. It's all, right. the, same, it's all the same stuff. Okay, so that's, that is, that's excellent. So we'll talk about fear in an upcoming episode as well. I'm newly diagnosed. I go into my doctor's office. Now, you are uniquely qualified to tell me this. What do people get told at diagnosis, and why do they only get told what is shared with them?
1: I think it there's a wide range of what people are told. I certainly think that the younger the diagnosis, especially for type one, the younger the diagnosis, the more education there is, the more information is provided. Um, adults that are diagnosed, I think, unfortunately get the least amount of education, again, and it differs system to system and and provider to provider, but um, in the beginning, you know, they're taught how to use a glucometer, they're taught how to give an injection, Um, they're taught, the or you're going to be taught essentially the basics of that insulin action, Mm -hmm. and you're going to be taught carb counting. I mean, that is pretty much the gist of what you're going to be taught.
0: Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for any amount of time will know that I call that do not die advice. That's the that's the advice you get so that you don't die. It doesn't right. keep you healthy, it doesn't help you understand anything, it just keeps you from going home and falling over.
1: Well, and I think another piece of that too is it's very very soon in that beginning is how to avoid hypoglycemia. How to avoid a low blood sugar because insulin causes low blood sugar. And unfortunately, that's where the fear starts.
0: Exactly, and so that's where, st- that's where the fear starts, but try to understand it from the clinician's point of view. You are f- frazzled. I say this all the time, being diagnosed with, with a disease that you cannot cure. It feels like someone just walked up to you with a shovel and smacked you square in the face with it and then started yelling, basal insulin, bolus, glucometer, right. this is a test strip. And you're like, wait, wait, what, what? Right. And, and so the doctor sees that on your face and can't, in, I guess in their minds, they don't want to overload you, but the unintended problem is just what you said—that you start with fear. Then yeah. everything starts with fear. It's—it it would be a simple sentence. It would be—it right. would be. Listen, we're going to teach this to you slowly. I know that seems counterproductive, but it's not. But there's no reason to be afraid, and that's what we're going to learn. Now the question is, do doctors not teach that because they don't have the time? Or they don't have the knowledge, like what, like because there are. Everyone's going to walk into a different endos office. You're going to get yeah. an eighty year old guy who's been doing this since people have been boiling their urine, and right. he, and he's just going to think that if you count your carbs and inject and go to three hundred and come back to one hundred, that's amazing, and that's that, right? Right. And then you're going to get a guy who's in his fifties who's just starting to hear about like. Yeah, this CGM stuff, and and, and you're going to get different advice from them. You're going to get different advice from, you know, a woman who's been out of medical school for three years and has diabetes. How do you as the patient know what advice you're getting when you don't know anything about diabetes?
1: That's a very good question. Absolutely. (laughs) And I think, you know, with today's technology, honestly, I – Personally, as people have come to 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 work with me uh, or to work with us at Integrated, you know, it's people come because very soon they realize they're not getting what they need. That's not quite; they're not sure what they're missing, right? But they know from researching and looking and googling it mm-hmm. that. The information that they've gotten is so just literally the tip of the iceberg right. that they're missing so much more beyond and that, you know, that their doctor is saying, well, you have to be in good control for a year to be able to start on a pump. And most parents or even adults are saying that's not the case.
0: Right. Right. It doesn't make I, sense. That's,
1: that's not, doesn't make sense. I want to know what I should be doing. I want to know what is the best for my child or for myself. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know, and mm-hmm. I think those are some of the things that as a, as a newly diagnosed, asking more questions of your provider, even though you may not know exactly what you're asking, when you've Googled it and you've researched and done some of your own searching and even asked, you know, some people, I, I think more and more people are, they're kind of, they have acquaintances or whatnot who might have diabetes, right. and so they they will ask and they'll say, well, they're doing this. You know, maybe I should ask about this. And I tell all the people that I work with, you know what, if your provider not able to meet you or can't answer even those basic questions in the beginning, it's, it's time, unfortunately, to find a new provider. It really is.
0: And based off of that idea, I want to say, say the same thing to two different segments. So if you're a clinician and you're listening to this, or if you're a person who has diabetes or is trying to care for someone who does... There's a space that a lot of people get into. They're not given enough information up front and they're, they're paying attention, right? They want to do well. They're paying attention and they see inconsistencies with what's been taught to them in the doctor's office. But because you're the doctor Or because you're looking at a doctor and you were raised to listen to a police officer, your teachers, and a doctor, you're raised to believe that a person in a white coat is infinitely more intelligent than you are. There's no reason to question them. And so when they give you these concrete laws of diabetes, you go home, put these laws into practice, and they don't give you decent results. This is for the doctors. It puts people into such a psychological bad place. It, it just wrenches their gut. They feel like they're killing themselves or their children, and they don't right. understand why. And even when common sense things about their diabetes show up, they can't bring themselves to make the leap because you've told them or not told them anything about that idea. And I will give you a great example, and it's a very simple example.
1: Or kind of before your example, you know, it's kind of a cut and dry too. As, you know, kind of going with what the doctor said, the doctor said to do this, the doctor said I should take my my insulin and eat right away. Well, if that's not working and you don't, um, if you don't know that and clinically clinicians, I think really do need more information about what really is the real life of diabetes. Right. What's the real life use of insulin and mastering its action and all of that? Because Clinical book does not mean it meets what happens at home. And when your clients come to you, when your patients with or people with diabetes come to you and they say, this isn't working, I'm following all of your rules, it's not working, instead of saying, well, you must be doing something wrong because that that happens often. Whether as a clinician you want that expression to come out or not, it does. Yeah. You make them feel like they're not doing something right. Right. And you don't give away to to help. You don't explore with them and say, okay, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear that you've tried everything I thought would w- excuse me would work. Right. And it's not, let's let's see why it's not working. Maybe something is variable for you.
0: And let's have more of a conversation and explain what's happening so that so that yeah. the doctor can glean more from what's going on. I'm at the point now and I'm sure you're there too. I can look at a twenty four hour graph and make changes in five minutes that improve somebody's life immeasurably in 24 hours. Yes. I don't know yes. why a doctor can't do that. So, I mean, I figured and out. And some
1: can. Yes. Some are, some are awesome, but some are not. You know me
0: well <laughs> enough now to know that, you know, I'm not the yeah. brightest person in the world and I can look at it and go, okay, this is this like this. My example of of how powerful the doctor's suggestion or non-suggestion can be to people is that I was speaking with a woman in her 40s who had had diabetes for 25 years. I looked at her graph. She was distraught. And I said, uh, you just need more insulin. And she said, well, no, 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 because, and, you know, she, like I said, all these reasons why it, that wasn't the case. And I said, no, that doesn't make sense. And in a brief 30-second explanation over a telephone call, I could literally hear the light bulb turn on in her head, and she went, oh, my God. I just need more insulin and I was like, right, that's it. I mean, can we go now or you, you know, but but think about think about that. A well-intended, intelligent, educated person who goes to her doctor's visits and in 20 years can't figure out why their blood sugars are the way they are and no one's ever helped her. So what I'm saying to people who are newly diagnosed or people who have gotten to that point and want to start over, you have to sort of think different. You have yeah. to, you know, if you're, if you're in a situation where you're newly diagnosed and you've gotten some real like what I call like old-timey information, um, you need to think differently. And if you've had diabetes for a long time or have been caring for someone forever and it's not going the way you want, that's the first thing you have to do. You have to say to yourself, I must not be thinking, like flip it upside down, look at it all the time. I have a friend who every decision they make is wrong. And I once said mm-hmm. to them. How come when you have a reaction to something, you just don't wonder what's completely opposite of that and then just do that? I was like, I was like, right, you're, right, you're always wrong, you, you know, right. so like, and, right. and, and that's what happens every day you get up, you do this thing with this insulin, and this pump and all this stuff, and it always goes wrong. But yet there you are the next day
1: doing it over and over and over again, which is a, another reason that I, you know, working, especially with the women through pregnancy that I work with, mm-hmm. that's a piece of the variability that I try to encourage them to sort of work on prior to pregnancy. Okay. You know, because if you can figure out, it's why many people with diabetes eat some of the same things over and over and over again. They have a standard breakfast. I know that it works. I know that I need this much insulin. I need to use a temporary basil for this much or for, you know, whatever, an extended bolus. And it works for me. It's, that's the reason, yeah. because once you figure it out, you're like, great, I, I got this like little magic this magic piece right here, and yeah. I'm not going to screw it up now. I'm just going
0: to have this half a piece of wheat toast, two eggs over easy, and two tablespoons of avocado for the rest of my life.
1: Right, exactly. Every morning.
0: If that's happening to you, if you're listening and that's happening to you, I, I say this proudly. The, there are some... Um, low-carb people who will get upset. And I want to tell them right now, you could eat low-carb your whole life. I don't care. I'm just saying that if you ended up there because you couldn't figure out insulin, you know, if you're you're eating something you don't want to be eating, there might be a way to manage this. But I tell people very proudly that at this point, my daughter is 14 years old when I'm recording this. She has had type 1 diabetes since she was two. And for the last five years, her A1C has been between 5'2 and 6'2" with absolutely no diet restrictions whatsoever. Anything you can think of, Arden eats and eats frequently.
1: And I bet her more important within that, I think we talked about this in the A1C discussion um, and podcast, but more important than even the A1C is her standard deviation, the variability, which I would estimate without even seeing her information I would estimate that her standard deviation is very nice meaning she's got these g- little gentle rolls through the course of the day right. rather than this major roller coaster because you can have an a1c of 5.4
0: yes but and you do can it have a
1: major you know standard deviation yep
0: and we will talk about that in in coming episodes you can't run around with your 6A1C, but be at 300 half the day and 50 the other half of the day. Right. That's You've just tricked the A1C test. Right. Um, and d- the
1: doctor. Yeah. Because, again, that goes back to clinicians. Mm-hmm. A1C is, is certainly, it's a starting place. It is not the end-all, be-all. There is more in-depth that needs to be looked at with that A1C. Yeah.
0: We try very hard. Um, well, you know what? <laughs> As you go on and listen to these episodes, you'll realize I'm not trying that hard anymore. I figured it out to the point where it doesn't really take that much involvement from us. But Arden's low alarm on her Dexcom is set at 70. On my follow app, it's 120 for the high alarm. On hers, it's 130. Mm -hmm. And so we'll talk about like bumping and nudging later on, but that's my concept is that smaller amounts of insulin, as you try to leave a tight range, get you back into that range more quickly, and cause far fewer lows later. Yeah. Give me one second here. We'll take a pause. Okay. Um, I'm going to text Arden. She's now wearing a new pump. I need to know how much insulin delivered from the last bolus. And then because it's a new pump and she's literally going to walk right into lunch excuse me, I'm going to double her basil for, I was only going to do 50%. Now I'm just going to double it for an hour and a half. Um, and that way if there's any slow start with that site absorbing and, and having action, I'm just going to do, I'm going to do something that at some point during these, you'll hear me talk about where I call it overballessing Like I just, I, I imagine not just what her needs are now, but the momentum and higher number that I know is coming. In 2008, we made the decision to get my then four-year-old daughter an insulin pump. It's a decision that I wish we would have made years sooner. After seeing everything that was available, we easily settled on the Omnipod. Now, that was back again in 2008. Today, Arden is about to turn 15 years old, and she has been wearing an Omnipod every day since then. Every day. And as I mentioned in the other ad, Arden's A1C has been between 5.2 and 6.2 for five solid years. How do we do that? Well, we start by seeing an insulin pump as more than just a way to not have to take shots. The Omnipod gives you the ability to do temporary basal rates. That's increases or decreases in your background insulin. Extended boluses, which will help you spread out your insulin over the life of a meal. And so much more. The Omnipod has no tubing at all. The pod is self-contained. You wear it on your body and you control it with a wireless controller. So there's no tubes running through your clothing and no pump that you have to jam in your bra or down your pants or wherever people have to put their pumps. That just doesn't exist with the Omnipod. What does exist is the ability to swim while you're getting your insulin, bathe while you're getting your insulin, and live life untethered. The Omnipod even features self-insertion. Just push a button. Now I want you to go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box, And when you get there, you'll get a free, no obligation demonstration pod sent directly to your house, check it out and see what you think for yourself. I'm going to do something that at some point during these, you'll hear me talk about where I call it overbalancing. Like I just, mm-hmm. I, I imagine not just what her needs are now, but the momentum and higher number that I know is coming.
1: Yep. So hold that on. pod change was one thing that I um, was always in, in, in the beginning, I was very thankful that I had noticed a difference with my animus pump change that I needed that site to just be like just saturated with insulin mm-hmm. to get absorption sooner. So, and I was glad because when I started Omnipod in 2006, I um, started doing the same thing that I did with my other pump sites, you know, just temp basaling up right. um, by almost a hundred percent for about, it was usually about an hour to two hours, depending on kind of where I was at that point. And if it was, I was having to change that pod especially, if it was before a meal and I was going to need insulin for that meal with the new pod, yep. I actually, instead of doing it through the pod, I gave an injection because I just found that a bolus with that new pod site, it never went well. Whereas if I did attempt basal increase, I took a bolus via injection for that food that I was going to eat and let the pod get settled in, I didn't have any blood sugar issues.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: everybody's strategy is different.
0: Right. But I'll tell you what it, what it, what that tells me is, and again, this is going to be another sentence you hear over and over again. You have to trust that what you know is going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. So if you make a pod change and your blood sugar is 90, you still need to do that. Right. Right. It's okay. Hold on. So you got 5.6 units. So I'm going to do a 10 peso increase 95% for an hour and bolus. Seven units all now go eat as soon as possible. So she's got 5.6 units in from 20 minutes ago or so. She's still 102. Um, and so I'm not scared of those seven units. She's going to be eating in five minutes. And look, the, the the 5.6 units didn't do anything over the last 20 minutes. So oh, I'm good. I, my goal here on this bolus is... Is 75 diagonal down while she's about halfway through her meal. Anyway, that's again stuff we'll talk about later. Yeah. Okay, so
1: and comfort level with what you know will happen. Right? Yeah,
0: and and because and by the way, and this these you have to you have to have these experiences. Like I'm gonna leave this in this episode so that you know that things have to happen that you don't expect because it's data right? It's, it's, I did this and this happened next time I'd like this to happen. So I'm going to do sooner later, more or less, whatever it is I'm going to do. But you can't know that unless something goes wrong. Right. Right. And so, and so here's a great tip for somebody starting over or who is newly diagnosed. There are no mistakes. There are only experiences that build on for next time. That's it. Yeah. I see something happen. Instead, you can't get dramatic. You can't get upset. You can't cry. You can't go, Oh my God, I'm killing her. You can't right. do it. Right. You say to yourself, okay, bare bones, what just happened here? I put insulin in here. It went up to there and then it came down and crashed. I bet you if I would have put that much insulin in sooner and spread it out a little bit, like I could have created the resistance that that blood sugar needed. Right. Right. And, right. But if you're busy running around wringing your hands and just, you gave away an amazing opportunity. And, right. and, and I will use this as an example. This past weekend, I was helping a mother with a five-year-old, a four or five-year-old boy. And while I was talking to her, this kid's blood sugar went to 300 off of some Cheerios. Uh-huh. And we talked for 20 or 30- Love that breakfast cereal. Oh, oh my gosh. We're talking for <laughs> tw- 20 minutes or so. This poor kid's blood sugar is at 300. It's not moving. And we're getting ready to get off the phone. And she's like, he's hungry. I don't know what to do. And I was like, "Are you? would you like to do something that's going to sound insane? I'll help you. And she goes, I think I'm desperate enough to try something insane. I was like, great. <laughs> how much insulin do you think it'll take to bring a 300 to 90? And she says, a unit. And I said, how much do you think lunch is going to take? And she said, a unit and a half. I was like, cool. Bowl is two and a half units right now. And she say, she's like, well, what's going to happen? We're going to put his blood sugar into a free fall. And then we're going to add the lunch at exactly the right time. And then with a little bit of fast acting carbs, if we need to, we'll bring it in for a landing. I said, I'll never leave you. We'll, we'll text the whole time. We'll talk again when we have to. So she does it. We get diagonal down 290, 275, 250, two hours down 250. She's texting Oh my god. I'm like, no, no, no. Perfect. Like right. Hold on. I actually texted her a picture of uh, um the guys from Star Wars who are trying to blow up the Death Star. I right. Like, I said stay on target. Like just don't don't flinch. Like don't flinch. 250 two down, 240 to 200. I said, "Okay. Now's the time to start getting the lunch together." And she laughed. She goes, "Oh, it's all ready. It's just here on a plate." <laughs> and I was like, "Good, good, good." <laughs> I said, "When we get the 180, give him the food." So 182 down, kid gets the food. 10 minutes later, now isn't this interesting? We're dropping 10 points every 5 minutes on the CGM. Then he eats, then all of a sudden the dropping stops. The arrows are still there, but now it takes longer to get to 170. took even longer to get to 160, and she gets to watch this happen. 150, still two down. 140, still two down. I said, okay, it's not going to catch the arrows. Do me a favor, give him a few ounces of juice. She says... We don't have juice in the house. And I thought to myself, oh, I just killed a kid over the phone. <laughs> 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 Goodbye. Ronnie, wrong number. <laughs> <don't> <laughs> so she, right. said, she says, we treat Lowe's with jelly beans because they hit him so hard. I said, that's great. But do you have any liquid in the house that has carbs in it that's not soda? And she's like, oh, we have lemonade. I said, that's great. I want you to give him four ounces of lemonade. So she gives him. And I said, and don't go crazy measuring it. Just give him a little bit of lemonade, right? So she gives him the lemonade. Boom. Goes to one arrow, goes to diagonal down. The kid comes in, I swear to you, 75, nice and stable. Yeah, His food's been in for a half an hour. And when it was over, she's like, wow, that was nerve wracking. I said, okay, I know that. Clear your head and then go back and look at the boluses. Look at the time you put the food in and look at the CGM and figure out how that insulin works in him. Because you just had a master's class, how insulin impacts blood sugar and how food impacts insulin.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's the place that as you know, clinicians, they, they don't have the time to do that. And it's unfortunate is it's unfortunate in the stance that with somebody something like diabetes, type one diabetes, specifically, you need that handholding in an instance like that, you need the ability to be with somebody who can say, you're okay, ride it out you're okay, he's going to be fine, you've got jelly beans, you've got juice, you've got honey, you've got something in the house, you've got a mini glucagon that you could use if you need to, you're going to, he's going to be okay, she's going to be, you're going to be okay, It's. it'll be fine, but you do, you have to use those learning pieces. I think it kind of goes along with um, a really good friend of mine um, who has had diabetes a bit longer than me, um, which is 30 plus years. Her Her doctor actually gave her kind of a good little hint um, for numbers. You know, we we start to view numbers in, in diabetes as good and bad, right? And that comes with that feeling of frustration then. And, oh, my gosh, I'm like killing myself or I'm doing something bad or whatever. And he said, you know, the numbers are information. So just like you said, it is, okay, I'm here. Why am I here? You know, what can I learn from this? What can I do better next time? Um, And maybe you analyze it, you know, three hours from now, maybe not in the instant, but it's information. And so he told her, you know, when the number is going to come up on the glucometer, you put this test strip in, you put your blood on the strip and you tell yourself, I am awesome. And here comes a number.
0: Right. Yeah. Because I just, it'll tell me what to do next. And it can't be a judgment. You can't feel judged by it. You can't no. let you can't you know you can't look at it and say bad low. You can say not what I wanted, not what I right. was shooting for, right. but what makes me what gets me to what I'm shooting for? And you know it's funny as as you and I are pretty much wrapping up this first thought, right? Um, I have so many people ask me when they're first diagnosed, what are the things I need to know? And I find around diabetes in general, everyone's looking for an amount or a number from you. Just yeah. please tell me how many minutes I should pre-ballus. Please tell me how many units I should do if his blood sugar is like this. And I tell them all the time, I don't know. Figure it out for yourself. And right. and you will, right? Like you have to. But I can't give you. No one can tell you that a 10-minute pre-bolus is going to be what's right for you in any given situation, let alone all the time. I, I think it's insane that we think that just because we've set a basal rate of, you know, one and a half units at 2 a.m. that we think that that's what our body's going to need every day at 2 a.m. It. It's right. insa- It's insanity to think that. It's just the best we have with the technology we have at the moment.
1: Exactly. And,
0: and so if you listen to this thinking someone's going to tell me the rules about what I need to do when I'm starting with diabetes, we did. We told you what to do. It just isn't what you expected. Right. Right. And so right. I get that. I understand that it's, it's not a pill disease. It's not take three of these a day and you have to have food with them. Like, it's not that easy.
1: And I think as a general, too, in the beginning of, of learning that comfort level and learning your, learning what works for you by watching, you also have to um, take into that the variables mm-hmm. that can mean what you did figure out needs to change because of such and such variable, right? So, you know, my breakfast in the morning, if I don't get to go to the gym before or after, my normal breakfast, which I just, I like it, which is why I eat almost the same thing every single day. And it it works nicely blood sugar wise, but I like it. So, and it's easy. So, but I, the variables that I had to figure out were pre-eating it exercise, post-eating it, Exercise, those are the variables, yeah. you know? And so what works in a morning where I'm not exercising at all is completely different than the mornings when I have exercise at such or such time. Of course,
0: the variables are forever changing, which is why you have to interestingly know what they are and at right. the same time completely ignore them. And and what I mean by that is that you're not a machine, Right, so there's certain things that are going to make sense, like you just said. I know if I exercise prior or post that this changes how this bolus needs to be. But if you're walking around trying to decide constantly, am I anxious? Um, Did I just bang my knee? Like, like you know, like am I going to get a call? The thing I see people saying online all the time, like his blood sugar is going up, he's going to get sick three days from now. I'm like, oh my god, just give him more insulin. Like, who cares if he gets sick three days from now? I, I, I and so that's what I think of. When I say be fluid, I, I just that it's going to keep changing at such a rate that for you to try to apply static rules to it is insane.
1: You've got that piece of, of life with diabetes that you can then bring into education, which is why people usually come to us because yeah. we understand it from the living itself standpoint, not from the, this is what the clinical book says should be happening, yep. so do this.
0: I, I'm incredibly proud to say that I've gotten to the point where if I can talk to somebody for about 45 minutes or an hour, they can have a major change in just a couple of days. And yeah. that's that's communication. That's what that it is, is. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's what I have in mind, Jenny, for this series. Today, we talked about being newly diagnosed or starting over. The next episode will be about multiple daily injections or MDI. We'll do an episode about insulin, bolusing, pumping, CGMs, and on and on until you and I finish covering every aspect of the things that we talk about on this show. Please remember that the Juicebox podcast wouldn't be possible without its sponsors. For today's episode, Omnipod and Dexcom. Dexcom, the makers of the G6 continuous glucose monitor. And of course, Omnipod is the tubal insulin pump that Arden has been wearing for over a decade. You can go to myomnipod.com forward slash box to get a free no-obligation demo of the pump sent right to your house, or you can go to dexcom.com forward slash box to find out more about Arden's CGM. Heck, you could do both. Jennifer Smith has lived with type 1 diabetes since she was a child and so she has first-hand knowledge of day-to-day events that affect diabetes management. Jenny holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She's a registered and licensed dietitian, certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer of most makes and models of insulin pumps and glucose monitors. She's an active member of the American Diabetes Association, the American Association of Diabetes Educators, Jenny also co-authored the book, Pregnancy with Type 1 Diabetes, Your Month-to-Month Guide to Blood Sugar Management. It's available on Amazon, and there's a link in the show notes. All that aside, Jenny's just a nice person, and I like having her on the show, and I love the way she thinks about type 1 diabetes. I am incredibly lucky that she's doing this series with me. I initially shared my idea with Jenny about putting together a series of shorter podcast episodes that would help people transition from their starting point with type 1 diabetes, because there's just no good reason to struggle. All you need are the right tools and a knowledge of how to use them. And that's what we're hoping to bring you. So, when you see the next episode and it's about multiple daily injections, don't skip it because you're pumping. Listen, there's good information in each one. By the time you get to the end of my talks with Jenny, it's going to feel like you sat in a room with her and I and hashed out every possible angle that you're going to need to understand. Because of the nature of these podcasts, I want to mention again that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise to always consult a physician before becoming bold with insulin or making any changes to your healthcare plan. If you found this podcast to be valuable, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. And don't forget to tell a friend. The podcast grows when you share it.